Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Mrs M's Curiosity Cabinet podcast. In a world of online content creation, 30 episodes probably doesn't sound like much, but in a life of enforced slowness, 30 episodes feels like a milestone. So a huge welcome and thank you to all returning listeners who've been following my antics for some time, and a warm welcome to anyone stepping into my curiosity cabinet for the first time. Introducing myself every episode sometimes feels strange, as I know that there are many returning listeners. But the reality is that both I and the podcast have evolved over the four or so years since I started it, so the introduction is not only useful for new listeners, but also for me as a marker of my evolution. So here it goes. My name is Meg, and I'm a European English woman who grew up outside the country of her father's, wandered around somewhat, and ended up living in London, an adopted metropolis rather than a home of my birth. I'm a maker, writer and generally curious soul. I am drawn to natural materials and I'm fascinated by the long human instinct to manipulate material, make objects and tell stories. Every other month or so I drop by to share some experiences, adventures and observations from my own making life. I discuss what I'm making, but in truth I'm more fascinated by the how and the why of the making, from material and environmental considerations of what and how we make, to some of the psychological and social reasons and implications of why we make. The best way to keep up with what's going on is to follow me at Mrs M's Curiosity Cabinet, and that is with an underscore between each word, over on Instagram, a medium or platform about which I, like many, have reservations, but stick with as I've not yet found a suitable alternative. Show notes of everything I mention in this podcast are available on my blog, mrsmscuriositycabinet.com. This year, I've also increasingly been making small videos to accompany the podcast, which you can find on YouTube under Mrs M's Curiosity Cabinet. The videos are a little add-on because I know people like to see as well as hear what I'm up to, and also as I'm strangely enjoying learning more about this medium and form of storytelling. So how have you been keeping? If you celebrate Christmas, I hope you are able to enjoy it in some form or other, as I know a lot of people were isolating or ill due to the latest wave of COVID-19. We had a pretty quiet time, but that's because we generally keep Christmas quite low-key. It was nice to go offline for a few days and spend some time with Mr M strolling around our area of London, also doing some gentle knitting and, of course, reflecting on the year that's been. And that's probably inspired today's podcast. So what do I have in store? Well, rather than talk in depth about the projects I'm currently working on, I thought I would just pop in for a bit of a chat and share a little of my review of the year that's been. Because just as 2020 was an odd year, so too was 2021. I'll also make a tentative look forward to what might be on the cards for next year. So I hope you have a favourite brew or tipple to hand and a fun project to work on. And let's begin. As I wrap up 2021, I'm working on two knitting projects, my second pair of long socks and a lacy cabled short sleeve cardigan layering piece. The first is my toned down earthy take on the Phyllis Wheatley Peters socks from Kate Davies' book Blue Stockings. And the second is the fair rag cardigan by Elizabeth Johnston from this year's Shetland Wool Week annual. 
I'm knitting both items in familiar to me comforting walls. For the socks, I'm using Rosa Pomar's Momdim, which I bought from my local gem of an independent wool shop, Wild and Woolly in East London. This shop is the nearest to me as a crow flies, but involves three changes of public transport. So, not an epic journey, but one that I considered carefully and regard as an uplifting little expedition in this age of Covid. For the cardigan, I'm naturally working with Shetland wool, in particular Jameson of Shetland Spindrift in the deliciously autumnal copper shade. It feels quite fitting to end the year with these two comfortable knits because in many ways I've been more excited about knitting this year than I have for some time. I don't generally talk about losing our mojo for something as I think there can be many dynamics at play that cause us to lay aside an activity for a while and that those dynamics are worthy of exploration rather than being simplistically dismissed by this phrase. Not to mention any thoughts and misgivings we might have about the assumption that a particular activity should be a constant in our life. But I would readily acknowledge that there can, and often is, a different degree of engagement in a pastime. Sometimes we can knit out of habit, or to calm and comfort ourselves, or out of practical necessity, or for diversion. All of those reasons are entirely worthy and they can coexist in varying combinations with various degrees of enjoyment. For me this year, there has definitely been a greater degree of delight in my knitting and for that fact in my sewing too. I started the year focusing on Operation Chillblain to equip myself against the misery of the winter chills. This saw me focus on garments that may not be aesthetically pleasing, unsexy even, like leg warmers, long socks and even a woolly base layer. The kind of garments that are distinctly uninstagrammable, flat, and I would hardly pose for in photographs, but knits that have made all the difference to my level of day-to-day comfort. Pieces that mean my sinews and muscles don't cramp with the cold as the autumn sun gives way to the damp winds of winter. Yes, I may have talked about these knits here on the podcast, and some of those conversations prompted lovely exchanges, including a friend sending me a copy of a historic pattern for a Shetland Spencer, or base layer or vest. But ultimately, I was knitting arguably contrary items purely for me, based on knowing myself and my propensities, not to follow trends or for likes or to play the social media algorithm game. And this knitting to the beat of my own drum has definitely been one of the reasons there has been true delight in knitting this year. Another reason for my excitement and pleasure in knitting has been that this year saw the publication of quite a few patterns that really appeal to me. Aesthetically, we all have our own preferences from the actual styles through to the materials and construction methods. And as with so much, fashions and trends change. I think it's fair to say that the pattern offering in recent years has generally not really appealed to my aesthetic or practical preferences, so it's been quite jolly for me to see more designs that have resonated this year. As a consequence, I've actually bought several knitting pattern books as they contained enough patterns I like to merit the purchase. I previously mentioned Kate Davies' blue stockings, which I happily bought once I realised it contained several patterns that were designed as or could readily be converted to long hose. 
The other book I'm particularly excited about, apart from the Shetland Wool Week annual I mentioned earlier, is the long-awaited The Shetland Trader Heritage book by Gudrun Johnston. I bought Gudrun's second Shetland Trader book many years ago, as well as several of her individual patterns, and I've always enjoyed the fit and the detail of her designs. When I heard back in 2019 that a new book was on the horizon, I was pretty excited and that excitement only grew when I saw teasers of the patterns for this book. Partly because over the past two years I have tentatively started to introduce a couple of multicoloured garments into my wardrobe in the form of Kate Davies' Tonach Cardigan and Susan Crawford's Maggie Waistcoat from the books Knitting Season and Evolution respectively. But I suspect mostly because of the design's mix of a lot of razor shell lace and decidedly 1970s colours. Bell sleeves, platform shoes and garish bold patterns may not be the look you associate with me, and you'd be right. But as a child of the 70s, I do have a nostalgic fondness for browns, oranges and ochres, and combinations thereof. And after the dreariness of the past two years, the joyous mixing and matching of shapes, hearty lace, fun colour work and the colours of my youth really appealed. Also, I've probably just got to the age or rather stage in life when I'm comfortable mixing style and elements that appeal to me, even if they are odd or contrary. We're back to delighting in being contrarily me. So 2022 will probably bring more epic hose in earthy tones, hearty lace tops in rich autumnal shades and a Shetland Spencer or two to keep the chill at bay. Sewing wise I've really enjoyed 2021 and once again I think it's because I've mostly been focusing on undergarments and base layers that really plugged a gap in my wardrobe. Half a dozen pairs of knickers is not particularly headline grabbing, even if it did include some pretty woven cotton ones. But there is something pleasant about pulling on a nice pair of drawers rather than ratty ones with frayed knicker elastic and a shade dulled by too many cycles through the washing machine. This year I also made two linen Francine dresses, a Merchant and Mills pattern I have heavily modified for fit but which has become a real go-to for me. Apart from it having a neckline that ticks all the right boxes for me, what I really love about this dress is how multifunctional it is. The lengthened dress makes an elegant, smart, casual summer dress, but combined with a wool or corduroy skirt, it doubles up as a shirt come petticoat in the colder months. The linen means it won't ride up against woolly tights, and the extra layer means it traps the air between itself and the skirt for extra cosiness. As such, it's a wonderful example of the continued relevance of old-school technology. At the prettier end of the makes, there was a lacy, wireless Josie bra designed by Made My Wardrobe. In this project, I combined organic cotton in a muted madder rose colour with lace in a chocolate brown to produce some practical frivolity in a truly me style. This is a pattern I will definitely be reprising next year, probably in some earthy 1970s shades. What other sewing plans do I have for 2022? Well, after finishing my winter coat, I will have to tackle some mending and altering. Wear and tear on clothes is a fact of life, so revisiting them for repairs is not uncommon, or rather shouldn't be. But we personally also undergo changes with the passing of time that might need to be accommodated. 
In my case, my pain-relieving regular swims have shrunk my hips and backside somewhat. For months now, I've been ignoring the need to take in my skirts, but as they have slumped so far down my thigh bone that I can no longer tuck my t-shirts in, I really need to get a start on it. After all, I don't, in the words of my mum, want to catch cold in my kidneys due to the gale up my back. I will definitely be sharing the mending and alterations on the podcast, not just because repair should be normalised, but because I suspect the process will include some learning about how I might approach future sewing projects to facilitate potential repairs and alterations. I'm all for future-proofing my wardrobe as much as possible. As well as repairs, there is one concrete project on my sewing wish list, a pair of dungarees. I have analysed the construction of my ready-to-wear trousers and have not been able to come up with a satisfactory plan to take them in by the amount I need to stop them falling off my hips. Fit is really key for me, especially when it comes to trousers. So I've decided that while my waist and hip measurements are bouncing around, I'm better off sewing a pair of dungarees to wear for my mucky maximum range of motion activities. These are much more forgiving on fit thanks to having shoulder straps to keep them up. Then there is a general plan to build on the success of the dress-come-shirt-petticoat combination by making some slip dresses. Ones that I can wear as undergarments under the lacy wool knits I have planned, but that will also function as sleeveless dresses that I can wear in the summer under an open linen shirt for when the delights of the menopause do their worst. So another example of future-proofing my wardrobe. And the last thing I am really eager to do next year is to revisit some of the older patterns in my archive. Ones that I bought in the first few years of dressmaking but stalled on because I didn't have the skills needed to make the modifications to get a good fit for my proportions. In the past six or seven years, my understanding of pattern cutting, but also my own body's proportions and structural quirks have come on in leaps and bounds. So now I would like to try my hand at those patterns again to get some use out of what I already own, but also so I can cut into some of the lovely cloth I have scrawled away over the years for those projects. Unfortunately, not everything has gone to plan creatively in the past year. There have been some unexpected challenges and frustrations that mean I've had to take a long hard look and think about my creative practice, how I can mitigate or work around limitations and how to reorganise myself and my creative work in a way that's more sustainable. The two biggest challenges have been fibromyalgia related. Although the reopening of the pools in late spring allowed me to adopt a swimming regime that has helped me manage the physical pain of the condition, in 2021 my cognitive function was scrambled more than usual. As the haze of fibro fog thickened, podcasting and writing have become more exhausting. I hope that through careful planning and pacing it's not been too noticeable on these podcasts, but privately it's been extremely frustrating on several levels. Words and expressing ideas have been an integral part of my life ever since I was a girl, so it's naturally exasperating and unsettling to sense a mental laboriousness around my first love and oldest skill and medium. But the fatigue-inducing nature of writing also means I've had to shelve plans for some projects I had in mind and have had to limit the regularity of the podcasts. 
Another infuriating turn of event has been the worsening of a weird kind of motion sickness. I've always struggled with vertigo and seasickness, but in recent years I've developed what is known as mal de débarquement, or a kind of motion sickness that really kicks in when you stop moving. Annoyingly, it can last for days after the movement that triggered it, and this year the condition got a lot worse. So much so that I can no longer work at the potter's wheel. Although looking at the spinning of the wheel makes me feel queasy, the really debilitating thing is that when shaping clay on the wheel head, my body absorbs all 250 rotations per minute of centrifugal spin, and it leads me to feel dizzy, nauseous and wiped out for days. Annoyingly, just like the fibromyalgia, this motion sickness is barely understood and there is no known cure. My doctors think the aggravation is linked to a fibromyalgia flare-up. It may ease over time but has shown no sign of doing so yet, so for most of the year and for the foreseeable future, throwing is just not on the cards. This has been dispiriting both for my own development as a potter but also from a creative business perspective. As I don't want this to be a doom and gloom podcast, I'll just say that there were a couple of months earlier in the year when I was in a real strop about these health issues, metaphorically stamping my foot like a disgruntled child. I know a lot of people have it a lot worse than me, but that didn't mean that I didn't feel a sense of loss and frustration, and I had to acknowledge those feelings for what they were. But as lockdown eased in May and the weather improved... I started to get proactive and look at how to move forward. This involved taking a serious look at the challenges involved in maintaining a creative practice, let alone a micro business with my kind of condition, and being very honest with myself about what kind of workflows are feasible and what physical and mental downtimes I need to build in. It also involved slowly starting to reorient my practice. Practicing new skills, or rather adjacent skills, like using different slower hand-building techniques in my clay practice, such as the ancient craft of pinching and coiling, and also plugging some gaps in my textile and fibre practice. As well as exploring and experimenting with different techniques within existing areas of interest, I also took some time to develop skills to support the changing directions of my material practice and different ways of communicating my work, like starting to dabble with videos. Some of this learning involved a few hands-on workshops that were coming on stream again after the long winter lockdown. Mr M kindly treated me to a couple of fabulous workshops at local adult education colleges last summer. One focused on printing with natural dye extracts, which was a gap in my botanical colour experience that I'd been eager to plug for years. The other was a mucky tool-making workshop to learn the nuts and bolts of making plaster moulds for use with hand-building. And yes, it really was a messy affair that involved reclaimed clay that had seen better days, linoleum offcuts and mixing and timing plaster to perfection, an art in its own right. For other skills, I opted for a dive-in, teach-yourself approach, using a mix of online resources or even just working from first principles, drawing on a combination of old, half-forgotten know-how and a good dose of gumption. Like carving my own weaving shuttles from scratch or working out how to share projects and ideas in a more visual way for the times when the fibrofog leave the tongue and mind too garbled to articulate thoughts clearly.
I know that we live in an age where many merrily share everything online, but I've been enjoying the freedom of being able to explore and experiment behind the scenes. That's partly linked to my own creative insecurities, as well as the legacy of my pre-digital age copywriting training. But it's also because it takes a while to see where the exploring and experimenting takes us, and for learning, insights and ideas to take shape. I'm getting to the stage where I'm starting to be ready to share more, but I'm not sure yet what mix of formats it will take. Partly because I need to work out what mix I can physically and mentally sustain, and partly because the more I have explored different forms of communication this year, the more potential but also excitement I'm finding in picking a medium that best supports the questions I want to ask and stories I want to tell. Another reason for the uncertainty about what next year might look like is that I, like many people, am having reservations about the speed and fickleness of a lot of social media. Platforms that are predicated on an ever faster churn of content are not sustainable, definitely not for me personally, but they also create a disheartening landscape where there is little scope for the careful development or consideration of ideas and themes. And in the face of this speed and cursory digesting of concepts and ideas, I become almost contrary in my desire for a slower, more analogue, less fleeting, more considered way of sharing my creative practice, whatever that may look like. What I can say, though, is that A, it's really good to feel excited about possibilities again, both after the dreariness of the past two years and the personal health challenges. B. Work has begun on the next pamphlet, and it will feel and probably look somewhat different to the previous two. It will be a lot more personal, as challenges and change are naturally a locus for ideas and questions about more than just materials and process, but also because I want to bring in some of the other skills, both new and old, and play to the analogue medium that print is. And C, I hope that if you've enjoyed following the podcast or reading the pamphlets or even just my Instagram posts, that you will stick around to see where my creative practice goes next. In the meantime, I wish you all the very best for 2022. May you know good health, the support of loved ones and friends and many happy hours of making, whatever your medium may be. Thank you.